0: Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Tiffany Meyer and here today's top stories. Hamas terrorists have nowhere to hide. The Israel Defense Forces say they are fighting terrorists underground and now even in a refugee camp. The largest terror threat to the US since ISIS. American bases overseas are already under attack. Find out why the FBI now says the threat here in the homeland is also on the rise. A new U.S. ambassador to Israel, what's controversial about the just-confirmed Biden nominee, and how the White House announced a meeting between President Biden and China's Xi Jinping almost as if by accident. Several protesters interrupted an Israel-related hearing in the Senate, what they asked for, and why the Biden administration is facing pushback on aid to Israel, Ukraine, and Gaza. The struggle at the Supreme Court. The justices tackling two cases on opposite sides of free speech. Why it comes down to defining governmental duties on social media. And evacuations in Southern California for a late season wildfire. Strong winds and dry conditions pose a challenge for firefighters. Israeli airstrikes against Hamas are ramping up in intensity, this time targeting a terrorist and a refugee camp. Forces continue to move further into Gaza, with troops now entering the tunnels to fight Hamas terrorists. NTD's Jason Perry has the latest.
1: Israel defense forces continue to pursue Hamas terrorists in Gaza, even if they try to hide in refugee camps. Photos from Tuesday show the destruction after a strike. An IDF spokesperson confirmed that the attack was carried out by Israeli
2: forces. I can update you now that there was a very senior Hamas commander in that area. Uh, sadly, he was hiding again, as they do, behind, uh, within civilians. And that's all I can see at this point.
1: The strike hit Jabalya refugee camp in the north of Gaza, and Israeli forces have been advising civilians to
2: evacuate this area and go to the south. We know that he was killed. Um, About the civilians there, we're doing everything we can to minimize. Uh, I'll tell it, I'll say it again. Sadly, they are hiding themselves within civilian population. And again, we are doing this stage by stage, and we're going to go after every one of these terrorists who was involved in that, Attack on the 7th of October. Also
1: on Tuesday, the IDF reported killing 50 terrorists, including two more Hamas commanders, both of whom helped facilitate the massacre in which over 1,400 innocent civilians were killed in Israel in a surprise terrorist attack. And now, four days into ground operations in Gaza, Israel has been fighting terrorists inside the tunnels of the Hamas network. Israel hopes to rescue hostages along the way, The Israeli military says the number of known hostages in Hamas captivity has increased again and is now over 240. But Israel is not only fighting against Hamas. It has also been engaged in cross-border fire exchanges with Iranian-backed groups in Syria, as well as Hezbollah in Lebanon. And on Tuesday, another country weighed in on the conflict. A spokesperson for Yemen's Houthis said they've been launching missiles and drones at Israel. He called Israel the enemy and said the operation is in support of Palestinians. The IDF said aerial threats were detected from the area of the Red Sea and all were intercepted outside of Israel. In January 2021, the Trump administration designated Yemen's Houthis as a terrorist organization. However, the Biden administration reversed the decision, saying the terrorist designation would make it difficult to get humanitarian aid to Yemen. Jason Perry, NTD News.
0: The most significant terror threat to the U.S. in over a decade. FBI Director Christopher Ray today warning of attacks in the U.S. NTD's Aryan Pastar has the highlights from a Senate hearing on threats to the homeland.
3: The actions of Hamas and its allies will serve as an inspiration, the likes of which we haven't seen since ISIS launched its so-called caliphate several years
4: ago. FBI Director Christopher Wray on Tuesday warning of an increased terrorism threat at a Senate hearing on threats to the homeland. He says since Hamas attacks on Israel, Multiple terrorist organizations have called for attacks against America and the West. The number of attacks on U.S. military bases overseas has already increased sharply to 25 attacks in just the last two weeks, according to reports. But it's not only overseas. Ray says the call for attacks by these terrorist groups also raised a threat posed by violent extremists already in the United States. It also raises questions about illegal immigration. Senator Roger Marshall asked Homeland Securities Alejandro Mayorkas how many illegal immigrants in the U.S. have ties to terrorist organizations such as Hamas, ISIS, or others.
3: Is it tens, is it hundreds, is it thousands? An individual who poses a risk to our national security is our highest enforcement priority So you don't know the answer to the question? And if detention is indeed warranted by reason of the risk they present, then we indeed detain them. Do you have an answer for my question? I believe I have answered your question.
4: No, sir, you didn't. Mallorcas did confirm that the U.S. saw over 600,000 illegal immigrants avoid capture this fiscal year, so-called gotaways. Arguably the most heated exchange at Tuesday's hearing was between Senator Josh Hawley and Mallorcas. Hawley showed tweets of a Homeland Security immigration officer praising Hamas' attacks on Israel on the day of the attacks. Hawley asked what Homeland Security has done about this. Mallorcas replied, calling the question despicable. Here's what followed.
5: Have you fired her? Don't come to this hearing room. When Israel has been invaded and Jewish students are barricaded in libraries in this country and cannot be escorted out because they are threatened for their lives, you have employees who are celebrating genocide and you are saying it's despicable for me to ask the question?
4: Mallorca's later clarified he finds the question despicable because he has close family ties to Holocaust survivors. The employee has been put on administrative leave but hasn't been fired. Ariane Pastar, NTD News.
0: President Biden's pick for U.S. ambassador to Israel today getting confirmed by the Senate that says the president will soon meet with Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping. Joining us now live is NTD's White House correspondent Iris Tao. Good evening, Iris. First, tell us more about the new ambassador, Jack Liu. Who is he and why did some Republicans oppose him?
6: Good evening to you as well, Tiff. So, Jack Lew is a veteran under several Democratic administrations. He was the Treasury Secretary to President Obama. He's also the Obama Chief of Staff. He also served as the Director of the Office of Management and Budget to both the Obama and Clinton administrations. The Senate today confirmed him mostly along party lines after he moved very quickly to fill the post amid, of course, the ongoing war between Israel and Hamas. But while the White House and Democratic lawmakers both called him a well-qualified candidate at a critical time, Republican senators criticized him for playing a key role in facilitating the Iran nuclear deal, which lifted some sanctions on Iran, a major sponsor of Hamas. Here's what Senator Tom Cotton had to say about him. Watch.
5: As President Obama's Treasury Secretary, Jack Lew was a leading proponent of the disastrous Iran nuclear deal. A vote for him is a vote to subvert, not strengthen our ally in its time of need.
6: Liu tried to clarify his position by calling Iran an evil regime and a threat to the regional stability in the region. Meanwhile, the White House today also confirmed reports about an upcoming meeting between President Biden and China's Xi Jinping during the sidelines of the APEC summit in November. Meanwhile, this confirmation seems to have come almost by mistake as the press secretary tried to clarify and tried to almost downplay and backtrack it immediately after acknowledging that it was going to happen. Happen. watch
7: it's going to be in San Francisco it's going to be a constructive meeting the president's looking forward to
6: it I,
7: look, F- I, what I'm saying is that we, we're aiming we're aiming to have a constructive conversation uh, meeting between the leaders in San Francisco I think I just confirmed it.
6: And this now confirmed meeting will mark the first time that President Biden meets with Xi in almost a year. And this meeting will likely cover issues such as disagreements over Taiwan, China's recent aggressive behaviors in the South China Sea, and of course, the ongoing wars in both Ukraine and Gaza. Back to you, Tiff.
0: Iris, thank you for that update. On Capitol Hill, several protesters interrupt an Israel-related hearing in the Senate. White House cabinet members are facing opposition in Congress to President Biden's $106 billion request for emergency funding to Israel, Gaza, Ukraine, and more. NTD's Melina Wisecup reports from Capitol Hill.
8: Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and Secretary of State Antony Blinken are trying to make the case to a divided Congress that the conflicts in Ukraine and Israel are linked, using this as the reasoning before a group of senators.
9: Since we cut off Russia's traditional means of supplying its military, it's turned more and more to Iran for assistance. In return...
5: Moscow was supplied Iran with increasingly advanced military technology.
8: The two cabinet secretaries persisted through many disruptions during the hearing as anti-war protesters shouted, "Ceasefire fire and save the children of Gaza. pushback on this White House request doesn't stop with the protesters. Many lawmakers are opposed to this White House funding request, though for a different reason. Republicans want to fund Israel now and deal with Ukraine later, taking a more critical approach to how those funds in Ukraine are spent. This has caused some Republican senators to break with their Senate leader Mitch McConnell.
5: Well, I don't think we need to hold up Israel. Late. I mean, let's get that done. We can come back and talk about all the other things the president wants. Ukraine, Taiwan we'll see I just hope that the Democrats don't slow this down and hold Israel aid hostage
8: some Democrats are arguing that separating Ukraine and Israel aid would make it appear that the US is now letting Russia off the hook
3: that much of the rest of the world will interpret that as the United States doesn't does not stand with Ukraine
8: The House Speaker met with the Secretary of State today to discuss this impasse. And another issue that some are having with Biden's funding request is that the aid to Gaza could end up in the hands of the Hamas militant group. They're hoarding supplies for themselves. They're hoarding fuel so they can lob more bombs at Israel. She, along with a group of senators, are now urging Senate leader Chuck Schumer to reject this $9 billion humanitarian aid request from President Biden and ensure guardrails to make sure that this money to Gaza does not ultimately end up in the hands of the terrorist group. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Melina Wisecup, NTD News.
0: Former President Trump is dominating the GOP presidential candidates in the early primary state of South Carolina. According to a CNN poll conducted October 18th to 25th of more than a thousand registered Republican voters in the state, 53 percent said their first choice for the 2024 nomination is Trump. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley comes in a distant second with 22 percent, with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis drawing 11 percent. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, whose campaign is currently focused on Iowa more than his home state, follows at 6 percent, with no other candidate seeing more than 2 percent support. SSRS conducted the poll. South Carolina's Republican primary is set for February 24th, after Iowa, New Hampshire, and Nevada. Can public officials block their critics on social media? The Supreme Court is considering a pair of court fights that raise questions involving free speech and social media. We turn now to NTD's legal correspondent Arlene Richards for more details. Arlene, what are these two cases about?
7: Well, in the first case, Tiffany, two members of a Southern California school board are accused of violating the First Amendment for blocking two parents who criticized them on their Facebook and Twitter accounts. And both of these accounts identified themselves as public officials. The second case involves a Michigan resident who didn't like the way the city manager was handling the pandemic. He posted critical comments on the manager's Facebook page, and the manager first deleted the comments, and then he blocked the resident. This manager also identified himself as a public official. Now in both cases, the individuals who were blocked are claiming that their First Amendment rights were violated.
0: And what question is the court expected to answer in these two cases?
7: Well, these cases are among a growing number before the courts involving public officials who selectively block access to their social media accounts. Now the question for the court is whether or not this blocking is governmental action or whether it violates the public's First Amendment rights.
0: And so how was this question answered by the lower courts?
7: Well, interestingly, the lower courts are split. The Ninth Circuit ruled that the school board members violated the First Amendment because of the close nexus between their use of their social media pages and their official positions. The Sixth Circuit disagreed with the Ninth Circuit's reasoning, and they ruled that the city manager did not violate the First Amendment because he had maintained his Facebook page on his own, meaning not by his employer, and he did not operate it as part of his duties as the city manager.
0: And Arlene, you heard the oral arguments today. How do you think the court will rule?
7: Well, there was extensive questioning about what constitutes state action, and I think this is going to be difficult for the justices to decide because they spent a good amount of time trying to get a clear definition of governmental duty or state action. And one of the plaintiffs' attorneys was arguing that the official should put up some kind of disclaimer if the comment is not governmental speech, so that that way the public can distinguish the official duties from personal comments. But the other side argued that government officials have a right to speak in their personal capacity about their jobs without it being viewed as state action. So these cases and others are part of what's going to be a common focus for the court on the relationship between government and private digital platforms. Tiffany. Arlene, thank you for that update. Thank you, Tiffany.
0: The Highland Fire burning in Southern California, a relentless wildfire stoked by fierce Santa Ana winds, rampaged through rural areas southeast of Los Angeles. NTD's Stephanie Saccol reports.
10: A wildfire fueled by strong Santa Ana winds swept through rural lands southeast of Los Angeles on Monday. The fire, called the Highland Fire, started in dry hills near Aguanga in Riverside County. It had spread over approximately two square miles by late Monday night, leading to the evacuation of about 4,000 people from 1,300 homes. While three structures were destroyed and six damaged, it's uncertain if there were homes. So far, no injuries were reported.
6: If you received an evacuation order, please leave. If you received an evacuation warning, please continue to pay close attention to those. If something were to change, you would receive another notification. Uh, If you do not receive notifications, please go to rivcoready.org forward slash alert Rivco and sign up so that you can be prepared.
10: The wind, blowing at speeds of 20 to 25 miles per hour, intensified the fire. Fire crews planned to contain the fire as the winds eased, but the windy conditions remained strong. Resources like air tankers and bulldozers are being deployed to fight the fire, one of the few large wildfires during California's year-round fire season. This marked Southern California's first substantial Santa Ana wind condition, which historically has led to major and destructive fires in the area. The National Weather Service warns of continued high winds in Riverside County with gusts up to 40 miles per hour and extreme fire danger in parts of Los Angeles and Riverside counties through Tuesday afternoon. Stephanie Cical, NTD News, California. Coming up, can you beat
0: high mortgage rates by buying a home now and refinancing later? We asked several experts whether that's a good idea. The U.S. is looking to block a major airline merger. It's heading to trial today. Find out what the two sides are saying. And high levels of toxic metals found in fast food. The founder of the nonprofit behind the study shares details on their findings after the break. Welcome back. The 30 year fixed mortgage rate is now around 8%, making people unwilling to get into new homes. But lenders say it's perfectly fine to buy now and then refinance later. NTD's Jack Bradley explores whether this is a good idea.
5: Buy a home now, refinance later. Lenders are selling this idea to home buyers as the national average 30 year fixed rate goes over 8%.
11: I just bought one last week. so. I'm, I'm a big
8: fan of, uh, of purchasing now. I uh, definitely want to get some more. House flipper
5: Chris Hawk says that if he finds a good house at a good price, he's going to keep it. Once interest rates go down, he says his house's value will grow exponentially.
8: Once the rate gets to to where I think is the bottom, the plan would be to, to go into the bank and just say, hey, all these are in between six and eights. Um, you know, can I get
5: down to a four? Hawk says it's important for home buyers to have a good credit score and have a good relationship with their banker. With those in place, he has no problem with them refinancing later.
7: Date the rate and marry the property because you can always refinance. If you have good credit uh, and you have fallen in love with the right property where you picture yourself raising you know, your family or living for uh, many years, certainly uh, I would say go for it.
5: Real estate broker Lisa Simonson says refinancing works, but not for everyone. For people who don't have good credit or good liquidity, this may not be the right time. Be clear about how much it's gonna cost to refinance because that's really how you make the decision. If if you can save enough um, through lower payments to pay off the cost of the refinance, then it makes sense. Analyst Jeff Ostrowski says you have to do the math. It can get endlessly complicated because there are so many different options for mortgages. He says there are a lot of costs associated with refinancing. There are a lot of closing costs. that They can be 2, 3, 4, even 5% of the, the total amount of the loan. Um, typically, you need a new appraisal. You might need an inspection. You've got to pay for things like credit checks and title insurance. Um, some states have taxes on mortgage refinances. Ostrowski says that people have to figure out whether their monthly savings from a lower rate will be higher than all those costs. Jack Bradley, NTD News.
0: The Department of Justice is seeking to block a major U.S. airline merger. How will this impact the airline industry? Earlier, we spoke about this with NTD businesses Don Ma. For more details, take a look. Don Ma, thank you so much for joining us.
12: Yeah, always great to be here, Tiffany.
0: To begin, what is the merger and why does the DOJ want to block it?
12: So, the U.S. Department of Justice is heading to trial today, actually, to urge a federal judge to block JetBlue Airways' planned $3.8 billion acquisition of Spirit Airlines. Uh, the, The case is going to take place in a federal court in Boston. So, this move is actually part of a broader effort by the Biden administration to maintain a certain level of competition among the lower-cost airlines. Uh, The aim here is actually to try to have more air travel, be more affordable to uh, U.S. consumers. And let me just give a little bit of context here. Uh, A merger between JetBlue and Spirit, uh, which are the sixth and the seventh largest U.S. carriers, respectively, this merger would mark the first major U.S. airline combination since Alaska Airlines bought Virgin America in 2016. Actually, the entire sector is dominated by just four U.S. carriers, United Airlines, American Airlines, Delta, and Southwest. Uh, They control around 80 percent of of the domestic market, according to the DOJ. So that's just a brief overview here.
0: And what is JetBlue's reaction to all this?
12: Yeah, JetBlue has called uh, the potential merger as actually very pro-consumer. Uh, JetBlue would become the nation's fifth-largest airline, uh, but its its lawyers uh, say it would still only have less than 10 percent of market market share domestically. JetBlue said uh, in a statement as well, the merger would with Spirit would actually help the industry because uh, they they say it's going to increase competition and give more choice to consumers. At the same time, it also says uh, it would become a more competitive challenger to the big four U.S. airlines. But it seems like the Justice Department argues something else. It's actually, the complete opposite position of what uh, JetBlue is saying. Uh, The DOJ says that the combined airline would actually harm consumers because it would increase fares and reduce choice on routes nationwide. So that's the complete opposite here. The DOJ says uh, the merger would eliminate pressure on JetBlue to lower their fares in response to competition from Spirit. And this could potentially cost consumers over $2 billion in higher fares annually.
0: And how long will this trial last?
12: Well, the trial is going to take place without a jury uh, over uh, three weeks, uh, give, give or take. And U.S. Judge William Young will be presiding. Uh, Judge Young said he's going to try to have a ruling by the end of 2023 this year, so we have a few months to go. The Justice Department is suing alongside a Democratic attorneys general from six states and as well as the District of Columbia.
0: Quite fascinating here. Well, Don Ma, thank you so much for your time.
12: Yeah, always great to be
0: here. 100% of fast food samples tested positive for high amounts of heavy metals in recent lab tests. Volunteer moms from a nonprofit group organized the study. NTD's Jason Blair spoke with the group's founder, who said the results were worse than they expected.
2: Forty-two fast food samples from 21 restaurants across the U.S. were sent to a lab to test for heavy metals. But,
13: unfortunately, 100 percent of the samples were positive for cadmium and lead.
2: The study was done by nonprofit Moms Across America. They tested the top 20 fast food chains, plus In-N-Out Burger. And cadmium was
13: the highest, actually, in In In-N-Out French fries.
2: The cadmium in In-N-Out's fries was 1,158% higher than what the EPA allows in safe drinking water. Second was jack-in-the-box fries with 970% higher levels. And the sample with the lowest level of cadmium was 74% higher than what's allowed in drinking water. For lead, the highest amount was found in a Sonic cheeseburger with 912% more than what the EPA allows in drinking water.
13: Any amount of lead is not a good deal for the human brain, especially children, in the food supply.
2: Honeycutt said 100 percent of the fast food also tested positive for the widely used herbicide glyphosate and its breakdown AMPA. And glyphosate's a
13: carcinogen, an endocrine disruptor. It causes liver and kidney disease. It's neurotoxic. It causes nervous system damage, damage to sperm. It androgenizes
2: baby girls. Moms across America have also done lab tests in the past on other items, such as school lunches, which Honeycutt says are often supplied by fast food companies.
13: It is a burden of toxins, a collective burden of toxins that our children are experiencing and our adults are experiencing that's, that is contributing to widespread chronic, chronic illness.
2: Honeycutt encourages everyone to eat organic as much as possible as well as have more compassion for the people in their lives, because studies have linked that toxins in food and the environment can cause people stress and impact moods and behaviors. They may not be trying to be a jerk or to be rude or to be angry. They may
13: be being impacted by the glyphosate they just ate from that croissant.
2: Moms Across America plans to do more lab tests in the future. Jason Blair, Entity News.
0: Coming up, a national security expert tells us the Border Patrol's app is letting terror threats into the U.S. Find out what he says the solution is and why it's better late than never. How a New York-based arts group faces oppression in an American-allied country for almost two decades. Why is South Korea caving to red China under a recently elected pro-America president? NTD investigates. And is the U.S. in the midst of a Marxist revolution? A survivor of Chinese communism says Mao Zedong used identity politics to divide the people. That and more after the break. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some today's top headlines. Ongoing crossfire in the Middle East. Israel says it killed a key Hamas terrorist hiding in a refugee camp in the north of Gaza. Israeli troops continue to enter Hamas tunnels. And Yemeni Houthis say they've been firing missiles and drones at Israel. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, protesters shouting ceasefire at a Senate hearing on Israel. This has top White House officials facing pushback from lawmakers over bundling aid to Ukraine and Israel. Also at a Senate hearing, lawmakers raising questions over how many illegal immigrants in the U.S. have ties to terrorist organizations such as Hamas. And the FBI director warning of the rise of anti-Semitism here in the U.S. What is the solution to terror threats entering the U.S. through its borders? We spoke with a senior national security fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies to learn how dangerous people are getting into the country and what can be done about it. Todd Bensman, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be back on the show.
9: Good to be here. Thank you
0: beginning, there's growing pressure on the Biden administration for reportedly failing to protect national security. That's by letting in these people who are on the terror watch list. Now, you actually have a report out on this. In your view, why are these people being let in?
9: Uh, that's a great question. Uh, why are they letting them in? There are The, the Biden administration has a program that uh, allows immigrants to apply for entry on a mobile phone app called CBP-1. They don't seem to be too concerned about letting people from all over the world use that app to schedule an appointment and then get into the country through the ports of entry. And my most recent reporting, which is based on FOIA records, shows that the administration was actually approving uh, applications from people who are from terror watch-listed countries, designated countries of interest, uh, like all over the Middle East, Iran and Lebanon and Jordan and Tunisia and uh, Lebanon, all the Central Asian countries and the Caucasus and that sort of thing. and and, and it, it got to the point where Senator Charles Grassley decided to write a letter demanding answers about, like, what are you doing for security vetting on these people, bringing them in over the bridges? 7,300 plus during 2023 alone uh, from countries of interest, 24 different countries of interest. Hopefully, the senator's letter will uh, be well received. I don't think it will, but it, uh, hopefully it will, and that we will finally get answers to that question and others that Grassley asked.
0: And to your point, Border Patrol is warning that Hamas terrorists may be crossing over into the country from the southern border. Now, there's a sheriff's group saying it's too little too late. They're citing the over two million Godaways already scattered across this country. Is it too late in your view?
9: Yes, it's, it's far too late. Uh, but I always say better late uh, than never because you can at least you know, mitigate risk somewhat if you could get a handle on it and stop uh, allowing people in. But they're right. We've let in, you know, close to two million, probably more. Uh, we didn't. We just they got away. They we never even got laid hands on them. They got away. We we know that uh, probably far more than two million, uh, and they've been hemorrhaging into the country since uh, inauguration day, twenty twenty one. So. That's really the big question, is who, who got in that we didn't know about. We know that we caught 270 people who are on the FBI's terrorism watch list. We know that. Huge record, by the way. That is, It sound, may not sound like much, but if that's the test tube of water that you tested over here and the whole body of the lake, that's not a good test. That means that the bigger body of water probably has also... You know some uh, contaminants in it so to speak uh, so this is not a good thing at all that we have so many gotaways and 270 that didn't get away that we know were on the fbi's terror watch list
0: as you mentioned that is a record you also touched on how it's better late than never when it comes to mitigating these risks what is the solution here what are the concrete steps the u.s must take now
9: well the quickest solution if you're, uh, from, from the migrants' point of view, from their point of view, is if they were to spend $10,000 to get to the border, that they should know that they're gonna get pushed back and stuck in Mexico. So Remain in Mexico is the solution. It's the immediate solution. It's been It's survived all the court challenges all the way to the US Supreme Court, and it is a viable, legally viable program that they could use immediately Uh, And from the perspective of the immigrants, you're not coming if you're going to end up in Mexico. Nobody comes for the great Mexican dream. They come to be released into the U.S. and hopefully disappear and nobody will ever come find them. Uh, But if they're stuck in Mexico, they're staying home in the first place. And I think that's what needs to happen is deportation, repatriation to home countries on a sizable enough scale that it reduces the odds that your smuggling money is going to pay off enough and then they're staying home. Right now, it's the exact opposite. 100% of anybody and everybody who reaches that border is going to get in one way or another through the CBP1 app or illegally and then be allowed in. Almost nobody gets deported anymore.
0: And as reports note, that's causing a lot of problems to the actual asylum seekers. Well, Todd Bensman, thank you so much for your time.
9: Thank you for having me.
0: Turning now to a special report, what is Shen Yun? And why is the Chinese Communist Party working against it in Korea? NTD dives into the history of the CCP's interference with Shen Yun and why the free world needs to care.
6: The long arm of Chinese censorship reaching a key U.S. ally, South Korea. Major theaters in Seoul now declining to rent their venues to Shen Yun, an American performing arts company whose dance and music portrayed China before communism. Epoch Times investigations show that a Chinese embassy in Korea has for years been threatening Korean theaters with economic and political retaliation if they let Shen Yun perform. In 2016, KBS Hall owned by Korea's national broadcaster, canceled a contract with Shenyun after the Chinese embassy sent them a letter warning it will be detrimental to the relationship between Korea and China if the theater proceeded with Yun performances. A Korean court ruling in this case explicitly pointed to potential economic retaliation from Beijing, stating that if KBS cannot export its broadcasting contents to China, it may face huge losses. But Korea is not the only democratic country in which the CCP is using its political and economic leverage to censor free art. Chinese embassies have sent similar letters trying to stop Xing Yun from performing to theaters and elected officials in the US, Canada, Europe and Australia. In one case in Spain, the Chinese ambassador there admitted on tape that he personally warned a Madrid theater that it would lose the Chinese market if they didn't cancel Xing Yun.
12: Mm-hmm.
6: But why would a powerful regime use all kinds of tactics to interfere with a classical Chinese dance show? Xing Yun describes his mission as to revive China's five millennia old traditional culture, which has been largely destroyed under decades of communist rule. The group's performers also practice Falun Gong, a meditation practice whose practitioners are persecuted by the Chinese regime. Some company members have fled religious persecution themselves or have family members still imprisoned in China. Alongside dances portraying scenes from imperial dynasties and literary classics, some of the show's pieces also depict the story of what Falun Gong practitioners are facing in China today were taxed on Buddhist temples during the Cultural Revolution. The show's perspectives on Chinese culture, history and spirituality have put it on the CCP's target list. But it's also these values that have drawn millions of audience members from around the world. Xingyuan now tours in nearly 200 cities and 20 countries every year. While the CCP's campaigns to censor the show have failed in most countries, they are making headway in Korea. How Korea and the U.S. act on it could decide if China can exert control over more key allies, all at a crossroads, bowing to CCP pressure or upholding values shared by the free world.
0: Turning from South Korea to the U.S., are we seeing the influence of communist ideology within our own borders? Earlier, we spoke with the author of Mao's America, A Survivor's Warning, who says the U.S. is currently in the midst of a Marxist revolution. Shivan Fleet, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming, for inviting me back. To begin, your book is titled Mao's America, A Survivor's Warning. Tell us about what your warning is and why you feel it's so important to share it now. Yes, the warning is we are in
11: the midst of a Marxist revolution. The war has raged on America and many people still don't recognize it. People like me who lived through communism, especially those who live through the Cultural Revolution, we see it right away. We recognize all the signs and we know it's the same thing. And uh, the uh, Cultural Revolution in China was launched by Mao to do two things. One is to get absolute power for himself. Another is fundamentally transform China in his own image and we see the same thing happening here. It is about those elite or globalists trying to uh, get absolute power in the process. They want to fundamentally transform America, get rid of uh, the funding principles that made this country great.
0: And on that last part, what are some of the key principles and values that make America unique in your view and are worth preserving?
11: Yeah, first of all, this is the only country that's founded on the belief that we were created by our creator, and that's where we get our rights. And this is something that took me a long time to grasp. Growing up in China, I always believed that our rights were given to us by the government. And so that is fundamentally a different uh, way of understanding who we get our rights from. And America is unique in the history of, uh, of, uh, uh, of mankind. So because we have that right, and no one can take it away, not any government should be able to take away from us, especially in America. You know, we are protected by our constitution, and our founding father was so wise. They also give us the Second Amendment. And those things are our ways to make sure no one can take away
0: our rights. You survived Mao's cultural revolution, and you mentioned you're seeing some similarities here in America. If this trend continues unchecked, what do you see as the consequences for America?
11: Yeah, the uh, the most obvious thing to, to me is the uh, uh, identity politics. That's exactly what Mao and the CCP uh, did to divide the Chinese population into two classes, the red class and the black class. And the people can probably figure out what it means. The red is good, black is bad. The black were the oppressors and then the red is oppressed and set them against each other. And that's exactly what happened uh, in America, that identity politics divide people, divide people into different races, different uh, gender, sexuality, and they infinitely divide people and make them uh, enemies of each other. And that's what we see, the hatred and then the kind of uh, uh, the hatred among uh, between uh, different groups. And that is uh, exactly what happened during the Cultural Revolution. People were willing to kill the others just because they belong to the wrong class, the black class. Millions died as the result.
0: And what's your message to those who believe this could never happen in America?
11: Yeah, this, there's a lot of people like that. They thought this, this kind of thing only happened over there. But I'm bringing the reality to you. I lived through the Cultural Revolution, and I'm living through it right now with millions of Americans. So I'm telling you, it is the same thing. And how do people fight back? The first thing is to understand If you don't understand something, how can you fight back? So I hope my book will help people to see the parallels. That is the focus of my book, is to help people to see it is the same thing. They both are Marxist cultural revolution. They have the same goal, which is to destroy the society so a small group of people can have absolute power.
0: You mentioned how you your mentioned- book will help raise awareness of what's happening, but what else can Americans do if they are concerned about this? I think take action. And I think it will be a great
11: success if people, after reading my book, understand the imminent threat of communism, Marxist ideology to the United States. I hope they will take action. I hope I will pull them out of the couch, behind the keyboard and get into real action. And, uh, and there are many ways of doing it. And uh, I did talk a lot in my book. And right now in Virginia, where I live, we have the, uh, uh, the election going on and get involved. Like I just this morning, and I worked as a, a grader for the uh, uh, early voting. And we need people we need people, we don't have enough people doing that. Start local and support your candidate who share your value. And that's how you start. You don't start on the top, you start locally. And that's how we take back our country and take
0: back our school. Xi Van Fleet, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Coming up, the World Series started Friday, but has anyone noticed? We'll look at one of the least viewed fall classics in recorded history when we come back. Welcome back, and now for your sports news, here's NTD's Dave Martin on whether anyone is actually watching the World Series.
3: That's right, Tiff. Did you watch Game 1 of the World Series Friday? If you didn't, you weren't the only one. Despite being an extra inning thriller, the game averaged just over 9 million viewers, making it the least viewed Game 1 on record going back more than 50 years. In fact, it was just the sixth World Series game ever that failed to attract 10 million viewers, while four of the other five were in the 2020 Fall Classic during the pandemic. Clearly the matchup isn't one that fans were clamoring for. Now, Neither team won their division, while Arizona, still one of the newest franchises, features a clutch roster yet devoid of star power. And in NBA news, former MVP James Harden was dealt to the LA Clippers in a long-awaited blockbuster deal, according to multiple reports. The 10-time All-Star had requested a trade earlier this summer to the Clippers. His presence, combined with fellow stars Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Russell Westbrook, makes them instant title contenders in the West, as long as they stay healthy. Meanwhile, Philadelphia received multiple draft picks as well as several players with expiring contracts which should allow them to have some $50-$60 million in salary cap space next offseason. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, three NBA games are on including those Clippers though I don't think Harden will be suiting up tonight. They'll host the Orlando Magic without him. Elsewhere in the league though, the Spurs and rookie Victor Wembenyama play at the Phoenix Suns. And on the ice, a doubleheader tonight as Los Angeles plays at Toronto, followed by Vancouver hosting Nashville. And finally, in baseball, it's Game 4 of the World Series tonight, should anyone actually decide to watch, as the Texas Rangers play at the Arizona Diamondbacks, leading two games to one. And that's it for your sports news today. Tiff, back to you.
0: If you have any news, tips, or feedback for the show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. That's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.